Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you one fantastic page of Talmud a day and tells you why you should care, why the page is still relevant, more relevant than ever to your life today. And today we're talking about page 60, and we welcome back the great, my friend, my mentor, Rabbi David Bashevkin. Hello. What a joy to be here today. Thank you so much for having me, Liel. So yesterday, uh, we spoke about Superman and Rav Sheshet and why we should really kind of stop and listen for the still small voice that tells us the most meaningful things in the world. Today, um, I want to share with you a really kind of weird story that, that seemed like something straight out of the Twilight Zone. And this one is about the very, very, very famous Rabbi Akiva. The Gemara relates... Like this incident when Rabbi Akiva was walking along the road and came to a certain city. He inquired about lodging and they did not give him any. He said, everything that God does, he does for the best. He went and slept in a field and he had with him a rooster, a donkey and a candle. A gust of wind came and extinguished the candle. A cat came and ate the rooster And a lion came and ate the donkey. He said, everything that God does, he does for the best. That night, an army came and took the city into captivity. It turned out that Rabbi Akiva alone, who was not in the city and had no lit candle, noisy rooster or donkey to give away his location, was saved. He said to them, didn't I tell you? Everything that God does, he does for the best. This is really like something Rod Serling would have written, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, th- this is a extraordinarily important, uh, somewhat famous, and uh, very powerful passage in the Talmud, without a doubt. Explain it to us. Un- unpack it. So it's really interesting. I think there are two things to unpack over here. One of them is how central this is to the life of Rabbi Akiva. And then there's a second, almost more subtle point, which is how he expresses it, that almost gets lost in translation as uh, if you just read the English. And it's something I want to point out. Rebbe Akiva lived during the destruction of the Second Temple, and his entire life story really embodies the perspective that he's continuously cultivating throughout his life. What's so fascinating about Rebbe Akiva, is that he did not grow up in a rabbinic family. In fact, he grew up, as we'll discover, you know, years from now, but we'll get to that page and story eventually. He hated rabbis. The Talmud describes him as biting rabbis, like he would bite them. (laughs) If there's ever a more relatable passage in Talmud, it's the urge every once in a while to take a bite out of a (laughs) rabbi. (laughs) And he came to uh, scholarship religion much later in life. And while the temple was burning, there's a famous passage all the way at the end of Tractate Makot, where everybody's crying, everybody is weeping, and Rabbi Akiva begins to laugh. And they say, like, how can you laugh at this moment? Like, the temple's on fire. Jewish history is upside down now. And he says, I'm laughing because from the very fact that the destruction was prophesied in this way, 
and that came true. So I know the redemption is also going to be fulfilled. And the sages replied, Akiva Nicham Tanu, Akiva, you have comforted us. Akiva, you have comforted us. And I've always looked at that story as the center of Rebbe Akiva's personality and the center of this story, where the comfort of Rebbe Akiva derives from the very narrative of his own life story. He did not have a sequential life. He did not have a life where he went to the best Jewish day schools and the best had the best teachers and knew how to study Talmud from a young age and all these marvelous stories about his genius. He grew up hating rabbis. He grew up totally uh, unaffiliated from any sort of uh, Jewish education. And he came to it later in life, and it gave him this perspective that when everybody else is crying because life is not unfolding sequentially, I know that the way life really unfolds is the narrative is always subverted. It's always upside down. It's always out of order, which is why he was laughing. That's why things are so funny. When things unfold and you see a guy in a fancy suit, you know, approaching a big fancy Wall Street firm, they slip on a banana peel, it subverts your expectations. And what Rebbe Akiva understood through his entire life was that very point, that ultimately, if you take a wide view out, the narrative that you expected is always going to be subverted, and it's going to be subverted to a much wider perspective where you see that everything is contributing ultimately for the good. And that's the passage that we have over here. And kind of the final point that I would say is he deliberately phrases it, everything that God does is for the good. He deliberately phrases it in a very thick Aramaic passage. He doesn't say in Hebrew, everything God is for the good, and usually somebody from his era would have phrased something in Hebrew. He in fact uses a very thick Aramaic, kol ma da'avid rachmana l'tava avid, everything that God does is for the good. Because I think the, the vernacular of Aramaic captures the story of Rebbe Kiva. It was being able to find meaning and spirituality, not just in the you know, language of God of Hebrew, where you, know, you have that great Jewish education, you understand everything. It was actually coming through his own vernacular, the perspective of the masses, and being able to see through all of the obscurity and find God dwelling among there too, even if the narrative and the approach might not unfold all that sequentially. And so next time any of us find ourselves alone in a field outside thinking to ourselves, you know, we're really in a tough spot here and there's not a lot of hope, here's, here's something to contemplate. Uh, Rabbi Bashevkin, we are getting some mail from listeners uh, who, who have some Uh-oh. questions, which I would like your, your okay. help in addressing. Andy Funk writes to us. Uh, I've got a question that I don't think you addressed on take one, and I suspect would be of interest to many of your listeners. I'm doing my Dafyomi reading, which is frequently many days behind, as, as do all of us, online, using the Safaria version, which, by the way, is excellent. Frequently, the phrase Lakashia, or this is not difficult, appears. Not difficult? I must be missing something, because it's Talmud. So, of course, it's difficult. So, I'd like to hear a discussion of this phrase. Thanks and Shabbat Shalom, Andy. 
What, what's up with this? Low Kasha, it is not a question. I think the heart of this question, which is such an important question, is not what does this mean or how can that be true? I think the real question is who is asking this question? When the Talmud says low kasha, it's being spoken anonymously. It's coming from the anonymous voice of the Talmud. And if you take a really keen look at the Talmud, you'll notice that there are really two types of statements throughout the Talmud. There are ones that are attributed to specific rabbis. And then oftentimes the Talmud starts fleshing out their thought And it's clearly like it's this anonymous voice that's reacting to these attributed statements. The author voice, if you will, of the Talmud. Exactly. And that anonymous voice and that interplay between ascribed statements and that anonymous voice is the most important part of the Talmud. Because that's the kind of collective body that was developed over centuries that is reacting to these canonized rabbinic voices. And sometimes they say, I don't get this. Sometimes they'll try to address and give an answer that might even seem very far-fetched. And sometimes they'll be dismissive. Whenever the anonymous voice is speaking, you need to know that it's never telling you what to think. What it's really asking you is to come and participate in that dialogue and try to figure it out, meaning the reader is part of that anonymous process. Everybody reading the Talmud and reacting to it, and when you look at a low kasha and the Talmud says, that's not a question, and then your reaction is, that's not a question, of course that's a question. You're now not you're, – you're being transformed from a reader into an active participant in the Talmud itself. You're one of the rabbis sitting right there and having that argument with them. Exactly. And that's the whole point of Talmud study. So when you find those anonymous, unattributed voices and you start to react back to it and you say, that doesn't make sense. I don't get that. That's the whole point of Talmud. It's beckoning you in to not just remain a passive reader, but become an author and develop the thought and the logic and the application and the relevance to the moment and the generation sitting in front of you. Rabbi Beshevkin, thank you as ever, and may we continue to quibble uh, for a very long time. Amen. This has been Take One, a production of Tablet Magazine. If you enjoyed this show, please go rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. Each week, we'll be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly section of Reading Daf Yomi. I'm your host, Leah Leibowitz. Our producer is Josh Cross. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash take one or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. I hope you've made your day a little bit more Talmudic, and we'll see you again soon.